All right, how you guys doing? Good, good. Man, I, two major moments for me in the last two years that warmed my heart. Moment number one, the first time I heard applause after a year of not having humans in the same room together. The second was last week, hearing people talk to each other in a room like this. It is so fun to start getting back towards a place where life feels a little bit more normal again. It's like Justin said, we are not meant to live life alone. We are not meant to come to church and consume content alone. When I was a youth pastor, I always told the kids, church is not a time for you to come and be alone with God. Church is a time for us to come and be together with God. And so I'm so glad to be able to hear folks meeting each other. We've just been celebrating. This last month has been fun to start doing more and more here around the church. Last month in our families ministry, we had 27 new families who are brand new to church come for the first time, which... We love seeing y'all here again, but we love even more, no offense to y'all, we love even more seeing folks who are new to church, new to the faith, exploring a life with Jesus. And so if that is you, welcome. And I just want to alleviate your fears in this series called How to Get Rich. This is not a series where we're going to be asking you for money. This is not a series that ends with a big building campaign or a special offering. This is a series where we're looking at Jesus's teachings in Luke like 12, 13 through Luke 14, 15, 16, 17 about how we can make our values be the things that drive our lives. How we can take our grip off of the things we know we shouldn't value, like cash and fame and reputation, and how we can value God and humans more and amass, become rich in the sense of building tons of great relationships with God and with people. And so that's the journey we've been on. I wanna tell you guys a story about something that happened to me this week that'll give you a glimpse if you're new of how far we've come in this series and how far we still have to go as human beings. This happened to me last week in Chicago. Any Chicago people in here? All right, wow, okay, there you go, all right. Well, so, went to Chicago, I have a pastor's uh, cohort I'm a part of, we meet up twice a year. The pastor who hosted it this time lives in Chicago. So we were in Chicago and he said, guys, I've got a treat for you. There's a family in our church that is willing to host us for dinner tonight. And I've told you this before, I'm kind of an introvert. It terrifies me to go to someone that I don't know's house for dinner. I imagine sitting in this little circle in their living room, like making small talk, but I'm like, okay, it'll be fine. I'm gonna get through this. And he's like, just so you know, you need a little bit of an orientation because the house is kind of hard to find. He's like, it's about a mile that direction. I'll send you a link to the Google Maps, but Google Maps is gonna take you to a big automatic gate. That's not the main gate for the house. That's just the gate for the stables and the staff. The second gate is the gate we'll be entering in tonight. And I'm like, okay, what is this place, right? So I roll up in my little rental car, drive through like 20 acres of landscaped grounds and emerge, emerges like the biggest house I've ever stepped foot in in my life. Like the guy sitting in the car with me said, is this the Great Wolf Lodge, right? It was Montana cabin, 25 foot ceilings, all giant, massive, exposed, single beam stuff, like breathtaking. Like the entryway, there was a full size sculpture of a bear, full size, with like a bear light on it. And I thought, I've never seen a bear light before, but this light just, boom, lighting up this bear, right? Expansive, gigantic, the largest indoor pool I've ever seen in fitness center 
right? A 30-seat luxury movie theater, a, a wine cave with like wines he's flown in from all over the world and the seating area, the whole thing is chilled to 58 degrees or whatever, right? All the guys flock over to the golf simulator. There's like this room, floor to ceiling, like big projection wall. We're playing Pebble Beach. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm in a series where I'm trying to remember that this stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I need this. I'm never going to have this. It doesn't matter. <sighs> the couple who owns this house, two people live in this like 20,000 square foot house. Nicest people, godly people, humble people. And the whole time we're sitting around thinking like, where did this guy get all this money, right? Don't, don't think about that. Don't think about that, right? So we sit down with them, and, and the pastor who, whose church we were visiting said, hey, we'd love for these guys to hear a little bit of your story of how you met Christ, and, and so like, oh, yeah, sure. So they share this story, right? And the story is this amazing story. This guy talks about coming from nothing. His parents both emigrated from these different countries, and they're just trying to make ends meet. He stumbles into this business with his brother, do, managing people's money, and it starts becoming successful. He said, we got to this place where I'm flying every day in my jet to a different city, working all day. He said, at the peak of this thing, I was managing $44 billion of other people's money. And we're like, 44 billion dollars of other people's money. He said, but guys, you, you gotta realize, like, it wasn't just the basic, like, it doesn't make you happy or whatever. He's like, this was the smallest of our five homes. <laughs> he said, but work was so all-consuming. So there was no way out of it. It was 24 hours a day, seven days a week, flight, 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 flight. He said, I, I realized that my priorities were totally out of whack. He said, money was not supposed to be my biggest priority. We never said we cared about money. We just kept making more and more, right? He's like, I know, poor rich guy, right? But he said, I knew my highest value was supposed to be God, but God was like a blip on my radar somewhere. He, he said, I know that the reason God put me on earth was to live on his mission and love people well. He's like, people were not on my radar. I had no time for my family. I never saw my wife. I missed all my kids growing up. I was never home. He's like, so I finally had this moment where I went to somebody else who had a ton of wealth and just said, you need to help me get out of this. He said, and so my buddy helped me learn how to sell my company, walk out of this whole lifestyle. And he said, and I've devoted the rest of my life to just liquidating everything and giving it away giving it away to people who need it, giving it away to kingdom endeavors, giving it away to, to whatever God would have me give it away. Like, I'm a steward, and I've finally learned how to switch my values so that God is number one, uh, people are number two, and this money thing, it's just a tool to live on God's mission in this world. Right, so I, we'll walk out of that thing, and I'm like, man, this would be a great sermon illustration for Sunday morning, right? Like, this is what we've been talking about. Like, this is the journey, right? Release your grip on these things and learn how to value God and people instead, and then use your money to reach lost people. That's where we're going. And so we get in the car. This is the part where I'm teaching you how far we have to go. Uh, we get in the car, and we're driving for a long time up the guy's driveway, and it's quiet. It's like, who's gonna be the first guy in my car to speak and what are we gonna say, right? Is it gonna be like, wow, God has transformed this man, right? Or, oh, wow, like, imagine how much impact he can have around the world with this kind of, that's not the first thing that was said. The first thing that was said was what was on everyone's mind, which was this, 
did he say $44 billion, right? And then the car just erupted. They're like, did you see the pool? Did you play it, right? And we're like, no, 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 right? And so we realize this is how far we have to go. We have a problem, right? We know that we should release our grip on these things and value these other things instead, but there's something in us that so deeply wants to get sucked back in to valuing fame and fortune and money and notoriety, right, and influence, all these things that we are tempted to value and we know we need to walk away from. Now, last week we talked about the cost of discipleship. This invitation from Jesus that if you want to come after me, give up all of that. Slide it all into the middle, all in. Uh, Just follow me. Let go of your money. Let go of your relationships. Let go of your status. Let go of your reputation. Give it all to me and let me build you a new life, right? And a lot of us left last week saying, I'm going to do that. But then we get in our cars and we go down the driveway and we forget to do that. Because these concepts of changing our whole value system are easier said than done. And today we're gonna continue in this journey through the book of Luke, and we land on a passage that's really familiar to you most likely. Luke chapter 15 is what we'll read. It's the story of the prodigal son. You heard this story? Have you heard the story of the prodigal son? Okay, you can talk. And what I love about this story is that after this last week where, where Jesus is teaching them the cost of discipleship and what it means to go all in for the Lord, before moving on to where we're gonna go next week about how to do that, he takes a pause in the middle to just really come after us and address what we value. Give us a vision of what life is supposed to look like to plead with us. The passage we're gonna read is the father in the story pleading with the older brother, the self-righteous brother, the wrong-valued brother, pleading with him to join the celebration, to value humans, to value the gospel, to value restoration. And so we're gonna take a pause this week, not in our series, but take a pause in the midst of our series to allow God to plead with us to change our values as hard as it is and let go of the things that we need to not value so much and learn how to value God and lost people instead. So I want to read for us. This is Luke chapter 15, just the end of the chapter, verses 25 through 32. This is God or the father pleading with the self-righteous older brother to come and celebrate because his lost son is found. So this is after the son comes home, after the father embraces him, after the party starts. Verse 25 says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours 
was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's the word of the Lord. And chances are, if you've studied the prodigal son story before, this is not the part you focused in on. And most of the time when we study the prodigal son story, we focus in on the climax of the story, the moment where this prodigal, who's been in a faraway land squandering the master's money, living in a pigsty, literally scraping to survive, comes to his senses, and he comes home and he writes this speech that he's gonna give to his dad saying, please, let me be like one of your hired servants. But while he was a long way off, this is when the climactic moment happens, while he was a long way off, the father sees him in the distance and he doesn't scold him, he doesn't yell at him, he doesn't say, stay off my property. He runs down the street, he grabs his son and says, welcome home. He doesn't listen to the speech, he says, we're gonna have a party, put a robe on him, put the ring on him, my son was dead, he's alive again. It's time to celebrate because God's greatest value is seeing lost people come home. This is the climax of the prodigal son story, right? And so we're going to talk about the vision we get from this story, from the climax of the story, and then we're going to talk about how we can become persuaded by God to enter into the vision of the story. So if you're taking notes, I'll I'll give you the vision right now. We're going to hit it a couple times. But the vision from this story is this. The vision God gives you is that the greatest value in life, your greatest value in life, would be seeing lost and broken and wandering people restored in their relationship with God. Right, this is what these, all these chapters are leading up to. That our values of fame, of wealth, of reputation, all of that would be discarded by us and that our value system would change so that our greatest value in life would be seeing broken, lost, and wandering folks restored in their relationship with God. We see that at the climax of the story where this broken, lost, wandering son is restored in his relationship with the father. But you might be asking, well, where where do you get this concept that it it relates to our value system, that it's about us, that it's about our values in life? And and so I'm gonna give you three places we see this in the text of where Jesus is trying to attack our value system, right? It's not in the climax of the story, it's more in the context of the story. Now, the first thing that we need to see as we look at the prodigal son's story is the context of the prodigal son's story, which is the very beginning of chapter 15. If you turn the page back over, you see why he tells the story in the first place. You can write this down. Jesus tells this story because Jesus gets in trouble for valuing lost people. He gets in trouble. Jesus was known as a person who spent his time seeking and saving lost things. And in Luke chapter 15, verse one, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners, these are the lost people, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus tells the prodigal son story as a response to a bunch of religious people who are angry that he values lost people. This is what he gets in trouble for, right? And so we didn't realize this is about our values. Now, the second thing that we get in the context of the story that tells us that Jesus is trying to attack our values is that the prodigal story is not, is not the only story he tells. He actually, Jesus tells three parables that all are designed to confront what we value. You can write this down, thing number two. Jesus tells three parables that confront what we value. He tells a story about a, about a lost sheep. 
He says, imagine you had a hundred of them. You're a shepherd, a hundred sheep in your field, and you lose one of them. What are you going to do? He's like, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to drop everything, leave the 99. You're going to go find the one that's lost and wandering because that's what you do when something you value is missing. You seek it, and then you save it, and then you celebrate when it returns. He tells another parable. He says, okay, imagine you didn't have 100. You have 10 silver coins, and you lose one of them, just one. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're gonna do. You're gonna drop everything. You're gonna cancel your plans for the day. You're gonna search your house till you find the one lost coin. And when you find it, you're gonna celebrate because when something you value is missing, you drop everything and you search it till you save it and find it. That's what you do. If you had 100 sheep, if you had 10 coins. Then he says, now imagine you had two sons. Not 100 sons. Not 10 sons, you had two sons. And you lost one of them. Goes wayward, goes prodigal. What are you gonna do? And what we would expect is he'd tell the same story, right? Well, you'd drop everything. You'd run to a faraway land. You'd search the highways and the byways. You'd search, you'd plead, you'd do everything you could to get your lost son home. But that's not how the story goes. Because when you lose a sheep that you value, you look for it. When you lose a coin that you value, you look for it. But when a human being wanders off, you just get self-righteous and make up all the reasons why it's okay that he's gone. And Jesus is trying to confront the values of these people who don't value lost and wandering and broken people, even at its core. Right? And we know that people are complicated. If you've ever had someone in your life go prodigal, walk away, like you know, like. You can go try to bring them home. They don't want to come home half the time, right? And all of this justification that we do is part of this whole wrestling match, right? Human beings are different. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to draw out. Human beings are different. They're more valuable than sheep. They're more valuable than coins. And yet our hearts are broken more when we lose our livestock or our money than the thousands of people out there who who don't know God and are wandering lost and broken in our world. This is real life stuff, right? I think of the book of Jonah, where God is just trying so hard to get Jonah's heart aligned with the heart of God in terms of a passion for folks who are lost and broken and wandering. And Jonah seems to care about everything other than the people of Nineveh. He cares about a plant. He cares about his comfort. He cares about a worm, right? He cares about all of these things. And then God in Jonah chapter four comes to Jonah and he asks him this question. He says, Jonah, you care so much about all this other stuff. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people, humans, who cannot tell their right hand from their left? The whole book of Jonah is designed to confront what we value. Jesus' ministry was designed, Luke 12 through 19, were designed to confront what we value. And Jesus values lost people. He values broken people. He values those who are wandering. And yet his audience, including us, we have a hard time with this truth. Even in the series on money, God is trying to move us from money, from things, from reputation to to humans. It's so hard for us to wrap our minds around this concept. You you might be feeling guilty right now, but you don't even know why you're feeling guilty, right? And and what 
what God probably wants to do in your life is to kind of lift your eyes up to see the wandering people in your family, the lost people in your neighborhood, the broken folks who exist around you, right? But, but a lot of times it's not even on our radar, right? It's like the prodigal son, right? You lose a coin, you lose a sheep, you're like, it's front of mind, right? You lose a kid. There's a lot of complex emotions. There's irritation and anger and self-righteousness and hope and mourning, right? There's all of these complicated emotions, but at the end of the day, we tend to grow numb to humans, and we go back to minding our things again. And Jesus gets in trouble for loving and reaching lost people. Jesus tells these parables to, to confront what we value. And the third and last thing that we need to understand from the context here is that these parables, these three parables, are written within a section of scripture that are designed to give us a new set of values. A new set of values. Right? Week number one, build bigger barns parable. Stop valuing money so much. Week number two, this story about throwing a banquet and the highways and the byways and the lost and the lowly, right? Stop valuing your own reputation so much. Week number three, the cost of discipleship. You've got to stop valuing these wrong things. Put it all on the table. Walk away. That's the cost of following Jesus. Cling to him instead. He'll give you a new set of values. Week number four this week, let me tell you what these values are. It's human beings. It's clinging to the Lord. It's living for humans. It's opening up your life and your pocketbook and your reputation to being someone who serves those who are lost and let down and looking and broken in this world. That's, that's why we exist. It's the new set of values. Now the question I would love for us to start thinking about as we wrestle with this concept, we'll put on the screen, is what would your life look like if reuniting lost people with, your, with God was your highest value? This might be one of the things that you write down and take this week into a, a private time with God and really do an experiment, right? What would my life look like? How would it be different if reuniting lost people with God was truly my highest value? You know, I remember being in a missions class in, in Christian seminary, and the missions professor was really convicted about this. He said, you know what, I'm a missions professor, and I, I never spend time with lost people. He said, my wife and I challenged ourselves to do a calendar audit, and we took a, a yellow highlighter, and we highlighted everything in our calendar in a two-month period where we hung out with Christian folks. Then we took a green highlighter, and our intent was to highlight all the times we spent with non-Christian folks. He said, but we never used the green highlighter because our whole life and value system was connecting in community with believers in Jesus. That was our whole network. It's like the lost weren't even on our radar. So he asked a similar question. He said, what would your life look like if you built it around reaching lost people for Jesus? He talked about it was October. He's like, let me tell you, it's Halloween, right? He said, Halloween is, that, is the craziest holiday in the Christian church. He said, because all year long, we go to church and we talk about how to reach our neighbors, and in the one day a year, October 31st, that all of our neighbors come to our house and knock on the door, we turn off our lights and go to church and talk about how sinful they all are, right? He's like, it's bonkers. He's like, we gotta flip it on its head, right? So he talked about, in my neighborhood, I'm on the sidewalk, I've got the apple cider, the hot chocolate, the lawn chairs, I'm talking to the parents while their kids are trick-or-treating, I'm using that time to build relationships with my neighbors because I want to build a, lot, a life where reuniting lost people with God is my highest value. I found this really cool app last week and I'll pull it up for you so you guys can download it too if you want to. I don't know how it works. It's kind of creepy, but just get it. It's called Bless Every Home. 
and I don't think it's magic, but it's big data stuff, download the app, you open it up, and you type in your address, which maybe you don't want to do this. It's a Christian app, though. Type in your address, and what it does is it automatically generates lists, like a prayer list every day of your neighbors based on the 40 homes closest to your address, right? And I don't know how it works. Like, somebody will tell me later, and then I'll feel a little better about it. But, like, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, like, I, I know my neighbors pretty well. Like, I know who owns the home. I know whose home is owned by the grandma, right? I know who lives there. I know all those things. And this thing gets it right. Like, it knows who is living in the houses around my house, right? And I'm thinking, man, what would it look like for me to start building a rhythm where every day I'm praying for these people by name and by address, and I'm walking past their house, and I'm praying for them that they would come to know Jesus. That's the type of thing I would do if I started living like reuniting lost people with God was my highest value. If you want a glimpse of what it would look like for you to create a life where reuniting lost people with God is your highest value, there's a person I'll point you to. His name is Jesus, and he was very good at this. And this is Jesus' entire life was built around this concept. He said that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He said it's not the, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, right? I've, I've come to reach those people who need a relationship with God. And Jesus obviously didn't care about money. He didn't have a lot of it. He didn't care about a big, giant Montana cabin house, right? He told people, I have nowhere to lay my head. When he died, when he was killed pursuing lost people, he had nothing except for the shirt off of his back for people to wrestle and barter over. He had nothing. He didn't care about his reputation. He, he scared people away all the time. Religious people were angry with him. They, they killed him for crimes he did not commit. He, he did not speak against that. He, he didn't seem to care about money or fame or reputation or power. He just seemed to care about the, the people in the world who were broken and lost and wandering, and he devoted himself to serving them, no matter their own cost to his reputation, no matter the fact that it made it so that he was not a rich person, he just lived to serve folks. Jesus is the greatest example of the one who built a life around the mission and values of God. The reason that we're here today, the reason that we'll celebrate communion today is that Jesus' self-sacrifice, giving up of his own life, was an act of self-sacrifice for the sake of us, that we are in the kingdom of God because he gave up his life so that we might have life. Like, we are the ones who were dead and are alive again because he died for our sins and came to life again in the resurrection. His whole crown jewel achievement on this planet was a desperate, beautiful, terrible act of self-sacrifice for the sake of those who are broken and lost and wandering. What would it look like to develop your life around a value set that is not about the things of this world, but a value set where your chief value in life is seeing lost, broken, and wandering people reunited in relationship with God? That's a a beautiful vision. (laughs) But most of us, I would guess, have a hard time living in that vision. Most of us are conflicted. Most of us value all the wrong things. Most of us find ourselves irritated with lost people more than we are pursuing lost people. And so the character in the prodigal son story, even though the one we should really connect with is the prodigal son, we actually more connect with that older son that we read the passage earlier who is irritated that lost people are getting found. 
right? This is where we started, this is where we're gonna end, is when the father goes and pleads with this person to adopt the values of the kingdom, the older son says this to the father. He says, look, if you're talking to God and you start with look, you're already in trouble, look. (laughs) Then he gives us a little glimpse into his own spiritual life, right? He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, slaving for you. You imagine telling God, I've been slaving for you. I've been a slave of God. It's like there are concepts of that in the scripture, but obviously there's something wrong in his heart. All these years I've been slaving it to you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Or you get a little glimpse into this guy's heart. I, I've served you, God. I've done everything you've asked, and you never gave me anything. Like, uh. He says, but when this son of yours, it's interesting, the father calls the brother uh, your, this brother of yours. The servant calls the brother this brother of yours. He calls his brother this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Right, this is a moment where all of the values that we've talked about in this series are really coming to a head. Right, because if you're the older brother in this story and you're irritated because this lost person is coming home, it's for a variety of reasons, right? One, there's a big financial reason he's mad here. And he's talking about that a lot. The fattened calf, young goat, what are you getting? What have you given me, right? There's this concept at the beginning of the prodigal son story about inheritance. So apparently this father was a wealthy father and when the younger son left and squandered this money he keeps bringing up, what happened in that moment was the kid took his inheritance and went on the road. So the older brother's like, serves you right. I still got my inheritance, right? And then now the brother's coming home. And when the brother's coming home, the older brother's getting irritated because he already doesn't like this lost son. But when the younger brother gets reunited in the family, it's almost like he's written back into the will again. And the older brother is thinking, wait a second. He already spent his part of the will. He doesn't get a new third of the will, right? His is gone, mine is here. And so the other bro- older brother thinks when the younger brother comes home, it's gonna cost me something, right? He, he sees the fattened calf being slaughtered and he just sees the dollar signs. And this was my money my dad's using on my stupid brother. <laughs> or met kids who seem like they're just waiting for their parents to die because they want the inheritance, right? That's this kid, it's his money which is ironically how the younger brother started the story. Give me my money, I wish you were dead, I'm out. The older brother's doing the same thing. The reputation piece, the self-righteousness piece, the I'm so good, he's so bad piece, he can't let go of it. These values we've been talking about, he's holding onto so tightly and he won't let go. And yet the father pleads with him, says, listen, (laughs) Enter into the party, come. We value this in our family. We don't value that, come on. And in this moment, even though this is not the climax of the story, we get a glimpse into the moral of the story. I think Jesus is trying to confront us after all these chapters of teaching that you will never truly value people until you stop valuing money and status. You can't do both. Jesus says in another place, you can't love God and money. You're either gonna hate the one and love the other or despise the one and be devoted to the other. You can't love both. You can't value people 
till you stop valuing all these other things that you're holding on to so tightly. All right, this was the moment that this guy whose gigantic house I was at shared in his own life, right? He came to this turning point in life. He realized, I can't do both. I can't love God, love my family, and reach people and be a rich person, right? It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, Jesus says, than a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. I had to get rid of my riches so I can cling to God, cling to my family, serve the community, and reach the lost. You can't do both. Most of us probably don't have $44 billion at our disposal, right? And it's funny, most of us are are stuck in that same crossroads. Where it's like the the little that we do have or the lot that we do have, we're just clinging so tightly and we're scared God's gonna take it away. We're so scared this is gonna be a series that even though I tell you it won't, it's gonna end with us asking you for your money, right? This is one of the reasons I don't wanna ask you for your money because Jesus is trying to get your heart, not your money. But he can't get your heart because you're clinging to your money and you're guarding your heart at the same time. He wants wants all of you. He wants all of you. So in this passage, he gives us a vision. We're gonna put it on the screen again in case you missed it the first time. He gives you a vision for a new set of values. And the vision is this, that your greatest value in life would be seeing the broken, lost, and wandering restored in their relationship with God. This is the new value set to aspire to if you can let go of your grip of the old value set that's holding you back. And yet I I would guess that it's such a monumental change that many of us have tried to do so many times that it's hard to get there. It's hard to get there. Now I love in this passage the father he pleads with the son, and I, I feel like the son is just, the older brother is just so like, ugh, tense, and the father is so free, he's so invitational, he's so grace-filled and merciful to this angry older brother. He says in verse 31, he says, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. What's this talk about, I never gave you a goat. You slaved. What do you, we're family. What, what do you want? You can have it. You're part of my family, right? Where did you get this mentality that you never got what you needed? You're with me always, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. This is our family value. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found gives them a glimpse of what the family is supposed to value. All right, so, so here's, here's the question. How do we get from here, where we are today, to there, to a place where we can hear God's invitation and step into it? You know, I've been wrestling with this a lot because I feel like it's really hard to change our personality. It's hard to change our values. It's hard to change our identity. It's hard to change everything that's wired in us. And And so I read this quote this week that really gave life to me that I'm gonna read and then I'm gonna give you an activity that you can do to start to go down this journey. This is from a counselor and author named Andy Kolber talking about how people change. She says, when people begin to understand that change happens in layers and it's rarely linear, it's as if someone took a grueling weight off of them. They stand a bit straighter. Often they become a touch kinder to themselves and to others. It's as if someone put a bomb on their souls and gave them the message, take as long as it takes. It's okay to be unfinished. It's absolutely normal to be imperfect. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. 
And so I, I wanna challenge you to start a journey where your values shift, and I wanna free you from changing overnight. That's my goal right now. And so I wanna give you an activity that, that this week will give you a chance to wrestle freely with where God is wanting you to go in a way where the pressure is off, the invitation is on, and God says, come on this journey with me and let me change your values slowly but surely. So here's what I wanna do. Here's what I want you to do. I'll do it too, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some time this week. Go on a walk, do it in your normal quiet time, if you have a quiet time every day, or, or take an afternoon, take your lunch hour, whatever you've got, right, make some time. And really wrestle with the concepts of this series. All right, we've been talking about the things that we value that we shouldn't value. Name them, what are they? What are the things that you need to let go of and you can't, but you need to let go of? Right, what are the things that God is calling you to cling to? How, how, how is he equipping you or inviting you into clinging to himself and to getting on his mission and to valuing the things that the family of God are supposed to value. What are those things? Name them and you'll start to get nervous and discouraged because you'll realize you have a long way to go. And this, this is what I want you to do. Once you realize you have a long way to go, own it, it's okay. And then I want you to kind of write some pathways for yourself that will give you some new values to walk in. Right? And these pathways, these values are not gonna be things that you're gonna do overnight. They're not gonna work every time, but, but I want you to create a new normal for yourself and just commit. You know what, whenever I find myself straying from these pathways, I'm gonna get right back onto them again. Now, you know that proverb that says, train up a child in the way he should go? Have you ever heard that before? It's this idea, train up a child the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from there, right? It always feels like, geez, I've gotta teach my kids how to walk the right way so that they don't screw up as adults, right? And that's a lot of pressure. Right, but the original Hebrew of that in terms of training up a child is more like a vine being trained on a trellis, right? And I always get this image that if you're trying to grow a vine up a trellis, the way to train it is anytime it grows in a weird direction, you just put it back, right? It starts to spin this way, you, you spin it back, right? You train up your child the way they should go, you gently put them back on the pathway to righteousness. And so I want for us to create the trellises for our own lives that when we start to stray, we just put ourselves back again. So let me give you some examples to kind of put some flesh on this. These are not mine, so don't hold me accountable to these, although they're awesome, right? But these are some examples of what you could write for yourself, right? Maybe you're gonna think about your stuff and you'd write something like this example here. Everything I have belongs to God and is given to me by God to bring him glory. Right? maybe you decide, you know, I just need to live by this. And so every day as you read this little card that you wrote for yourself, you're gonna realize, man, I haven't been living that way. I need to get back on the trellis where I realize that everything I have belongs to God and I use it to glorify him. That's an example uh, of something that you could write down. Right, maybe it's number two. Uh, I will offer service without judgment to any human being God puts in my path. Or maybe that's the thing you realize, you know what, I need to stop being so judgy. I need to stop being concerned about my own reputation, my own social schedule, my own social calendar. I need to offer service without judgment to anyone God puts in my path. It'll just be an indication, right? And so then every day as you look at this statement, you realize, man, somebody crossed my path yesterday and I just ignored him or I snubbed him or I judged him. I need to get back on the right track and every day I need to offer service without judgment to every human being God puts in my path. That's example number two. Example number three, right? My reputation means nothing to me, you might say. If I have to be known, I will be known as a servant of all. Who cares what people think? Who cares if they call me names, right? I don't need to be known at all. I could be anonymous. And if I have to be known, I wanna be the guy, I wanna be the gal who's known as a servant of all. That's, that's the pathway I'm gonna choose to walk in, right? Final example, example number four. 
I will use whatever money God puts into my hand to help the broken, lost, and wandering find their way back to God. Right? I'm just gonna live that way. God puts money in my hand, it's, I'm gonna say, God, what's this for? What do I do with this? Who needs help today? I wanna live this way. I'm gonna put myself in this channel, and whenever I start growing out of it, I'm gonna put myself back in again. I think if we can really just decide what we're gonna value and how we're gonna live and what we're not gonna value, I think we can walk in this long, slow obedience in the right direction with the Lord, and he can start to change our values, not necessarily overnight, but maybe over the next year, five years, 10 years, we can start to become people who value the things of this world less and value the things of God and this pathway and value that God has given us more. That's different for all of us, right? Because we all have different idols. We all have different values that need to be shed. And yet we're all called to use our uniqueness in the family of God to live out the same mission, to cling to Jesus, abide in him, and to love our neighbor, reach lost people, and serve the folks God has put in our path. You know, the prodigal son story doesn't really have a transformed hero moment, right? It has a conclusion. It's kind of a tragic conclusion. It's a, a son outside of a party, like with his arms crossed, refusing to celebrate. And next week, we're actually gonna talk about the transformed person in this journey. We're gonna talk about a man who gets it, whose values are correct, that Jesus commends for living this way, using his resources to reach lost people. But before we get there, I think the invitation God has for us today is to just relax, let go, and say, God, I, I wanna listen to your invitation. I wanna join this party. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, maybe the invitation for you today is to let go of your life, let go of everything you're gripping too hard on, and say, you know what? I, God is inviting me to join this celebration, to enter into his presence, his kingdom. All right, I'm in, right? Yeah, let go and step into relationship with Jesus today. Maybe you're a Christian, right, but you're judgmental. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're holding on to money. Maybe you're a Christian, but you value the wrong things. Maybe you're a Christian, but you just can't get into the party. Well, what I want us to do as we close this time is receive an invitation to the communion table. What I love about communion, we were talking as a worship team a few minutes ago about this. What we love about communion is it's a time where we get to have the the humility and gravity of the gospel right in front of us, right? We're holding the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. This idea that he died to make this possible. There's a lot of gravity in that. But at the same time, these symbols bring gladness as well, right? We realize that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never die. It says this blood is the new covenant. You can enter into the joy of the master's celebration. The image of the kingdom is one where wine, this cup, this new covenant wine is flowing from the hills. It's a party he's inviting you into. And so if you have not yet grabbed the bread and the wine, those little cups on the table, you can sneak out as this next song starts and grab them. But I wanna pray for us, and then I wanna invite you to receive communion together. I need to figure out how to get elements myself. I'm gonna work on that while we're praying. Maybe they'll magically show up on this table, someone. Uh, and then I'm gonna lead us in communion. And if you're ready to receive communion after I pray, we'll eat and drink together and then we'll sing. And yet if you are in a spot where you're like, you know what, I'm just not ready to let go of my life and give it to God. Or I'm just not ready to let go of these values and enter the celebration, hold on to it. Don't take, don't eat, don't drink. And maybe as this song plays, you can step into the release of these things, the weight that holds you down. Or maybe you just need to take it with you and wait until you're ready 
And then eat and drink and be reminded that, that your place is at the table of Jesus in the kingdom of God. So let me pray for us and then we'll receive communion together.